We're going to turn to the same chapter where I was just a few weeks ago on a Sunday evening, Mark chapter 15. I'm going to read some verses from verses 21 to 32. Mark 15, verses 21 to 32. <coughs> and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. You may remember just two or three weeks ago on a Sunday evening, I went through this chapter um, briefly just highlighting everything that we see in this chapter that Jesus went through to make eternal salvation available to all mankind to every man and to every woman and you recall that we looked at verse 1 where it says that he was bound and in verse 17 where it says that they clothed him in a purple robe and the crown of thorns was thrust upon his head and in verse 18 it says that they saluted in a mocking way hailing him as king. And verse 19, they struck him with a reed and spat upon him. And then verse 20, they mocked him again and stripped him. And then he was taken to Golgotha to be cruelly ex executed in what is known to be one of the most cruelest forms of execution that this world has ever known. And at this point I say, this is my Jesus. This is my Saviour. This is my Lord. This is the one that we've been singing about as we've been singing these songs. O purchase, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from this Jesus a pardon receives. And this is the one who laid aside his majesty and gave up everything for me and suffered, as we've seen in those highlights I've mentioned, suffered at the hands of those he had created 
and he took all my guilt and shame when he died and rose again. But thank God today you reign in heaven and earth exalted. And when we consider those things and all that Jesus has gone through each one of us, it should bring us to that place where we want to say, I really want to worship you, my Lord. Amen. I really want to worship you, my Lord. You have won my heart and I am yours. Forever and ever, I will love you. You are the only one who died for me, gave your life to set me free. So I lift my voice to you in adoration. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. And so when we think of what I've highlighted there in those verses up to verse 20, we would have to say that so far Jesus had already gone through so much from the moment he was arrested to this moment when they began to lead him up to Golgotha. Jesus had already gone through so much and yet there was so much more that he was having to go through as he hung on the cross in agony. And we remind ourselves in agony as he was dying for our sin. And so we come to these verses that I've read here, verses 21 to 32. And we find that as Jesus is there hanging on the cross in pain, in agony, with everything else that was bearing against his body as he hung there on that cruel cross, we find it says that those passing by began to wag their heads at him laughing at him and mocking him further and the scripture says that as they passed by and wagging their heads they began to cry out aha they were laughing aha you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days save yourself and come down from the cross as if he wasn't suffering enough and they begin to cry out at him and laugh at him. And then the chief priests join in. And they say he saved others. But look he can't save himself. Let the Christ. The king of Israel. Come down now from the cross. That we may see. And believe. And then it continues to say. That the two hanging. Either side of him. They also began to join in. It says that those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Now I want to look at these verses briefly this evening, not for three hours, and consider the things that they were crying out. And starting off with those that were walking by, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. As we just stop and think for a moment at what was taking place at that time, we will see that to those passing by and to the chief priests who joined in, 
And initially with the two criminals, because we know that the one had a change of heart and believed, that what they were portraying as they were mocking Jesus, as they were making fun of him, as he hung there on the cross, is that they were portraying what is happening with everyone since Christ has died, who look back at what happened at Calvary, and they consider it as foolishness. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. For the word or the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And those who mocked Jesus had heard much of what he'd said when he was preaching. They had seen the things that he had done. And yet in seeing it and on hearing who Jesus claimed to be, they saw it as foolishness. They saw it as nonsense. And they let him know that that is what they thought in their mocking at the cross. But what exactly was it that they were mocking on this occasion? It was the fact that Jesus had said, destroy this temple and I will build it in three days. And if you go back to the previous chapter of Mark chapter 14, you will find that that is one of the accusations that they brought against Jesus. When they tried to bring fault with him, when they tried to find a reason to get rid of him, they said, look, this is the man who said that he was going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. In other words, what they were saying was, he's going to vandalize the temple. He's made the claims. He's going to destroy it. He's going to vandalize our most important and sacred building. But we need to ask the question, when did they hear Jesus make that statement? And we go back to John's Gospel and chapter 2. And it was immediately after Jesus had started his ministry and he performed his first miracle, the, the turning of the wine at the wedding of Cana. And it says that after that, he went into the temple and they, he saw what they had allowed this sacred building, the temple, to become. And this is what is recorded. It says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He was angry with what was going on in the temple. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so Jesus had gone into the temple. He was angry with what he saw and he overturned the tables. He threw the money on the floor and he cast the people out and he told them to take their sheep and oxen and away and the pigeons as well. And so those that saw it were angry themselves and they come to Jesus and they demanded to know by what authority Jesus had done what he had done. And this is the reply that Jesus gave. 
destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, what is happening is, or the sad thing is, that they had misunderstood the words of Jesus. They didn't understand what it was that they were saying. And the reason was they were shut off from spiritual things. They were only interested in the material. Selling, buying, making money, conning those that are coming to make their sacrifices in the temple. So they didn't really care. So in their minds they were thinking of the temple building. And so they replied, it took 46 years to build, they said. And you reckon that you can destroy it and rebuild it in three days? What utter nonsense. What a pathetic claim. And so three years later, when we come to Mark chapter 15 and the verses that I am reading or have read this evening, we find that those that were in the temple at that time hadn't forgotten what Jesus had said. And so they use what Jesus had said those three years before and they use it to mock him. Now it was time for them to taunt Jesus. And you can imagine them saying to him, well, you reckon you could rebuild the temple in three days. And here you are, you're hanging on this cross and you cannot do anything about it. You are all talk. And no action. Come on, prove yourself. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. Walk away from it. But all of the time, they had missed the point. When Jesus made the statement, he had something far more important on his mind and in his heart. Not the temporal, physical temple building, but the spiritual. He had an eternal application. The mockers saw it as destroy and rebuild. But to Jesus, it was all about death and resurrection. And Jesus could have come down. There's no doubt about it. Jesus could have come down off the cross. He could have called for the help of the angels. He could have just spoken a word that would have silenced the taunters and even slain them. He could have brought them to death. He could have done anything he had wanted to, to have escaped the cross. But he wouldn't because he had already submitted himself to the will of God his Father. Remember his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane just a few days earlier. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this which is lying ahead of me pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And from that moment forward, when he uttered that prayer of committing himself to the will of his Father, there was no turning back. And so because of the joy that was set before him, the joy of what was going to take place after going to the cross, he endured the cross and he despised its shame and he was willing to do it for you and he was willing to do it for me. See, when we come to those that were mocking him and taunting him, their eyes were on the temporal. But all the time Jesus was talking about eternity. They were all for mocking, not realising that Jesus was on a mission. 
They were often laughing at him while all the time he was loving them. They were deriding him while he was actually dying for them. They were brandishing their sarcasm while he was bearing their sin. And they were taunting with their pathetic behaviour while he was taking the punishment for them. And it is still the same today. The unbeliever sees what Jesus has done as foolishness. See, they failed to comprehend the wonder of all that was taking place. And can you imagine how the heart of Jesus must have felt? Hanging on the cross, not because of anything he had done, but for everything that they had done. And which we have done. He had every right to say to them, as they were mocking him and laughing at him, I'm doing this for you. And today he says to each one of us, I did it for you. And see, when the chief priests joined in with the mocking, they said, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. The irony of it all is this, that he could have come down. But if he had, he could never have saved them. For if he had come down, he would have failed in his mission. He would not have completed that which was needed to bring atonement, to reconcile men and women back to God. For atonement required a sin offering. It required a sacrifice. It required a sinless and spotless sacrifice. And only Jesus could fit the bill and meet the just demands of God. And so the only way he could save them and the only way that he could save you and save me was to remain on the cross and to die for them and to die for us. And so the cross is good news. For the, the death and resurrection brings us life. It brings us eternal life and it brings us resurrection life. And to receive it, we need to come by faith to the one and only one who died for our sins and rose again for our justification. See, for the cross led to his burial. But the burial led to his resurrection. And still the world see it as foolishness. And yet when we think of death and we think of resurrection, God has already placed the principle of resurrection in all that he has created. We see its evidence every year in the cycle of the seasons, demonstrating that life can spring forth from that which has died and been buried. I see it every year. I witness the miracle of new life in the garden, and you witness it every time you see the new buds forming on the branches and the new flowers shooting out from the ground. Jesus not only gave the illustration of the destroying and rebuilding of his body as a temple, but he also made two following statements. In John chapter 10, verses 7 to 18, he said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. Death, resurrection. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. 
And then just a couple of chapters later, in John chapter 12 and verses 23 to 24, Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's speaking of himself. The hour has come for me to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But, and this is the good news, if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, last spring, last summer, my garden was teeming with life. But eventually, everything died. And in the autumn and in the winter, I took some of that which had died and planted it in the ground. And over the next few weeks, and it's already began to happen, I'm beginning to see the evidence of resurrection. As that which I planted that was dead has began to burst into new life again. And Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What Jesus was saying was this, unless I die, I will remain alone. In other words, he's saying, unless I die, I will accomplish nothing. All the miracles, all the healings, all the preaching, they will achieve nothing unless I die. Because unless I die, I will remain alone. But then Jesus was saying, if I die and am buried, I will bear much fruit. In other words, I will live again. And the fruit will be those who believe in me. They too shall live, both spiritually and eternally. So when the mockers were telling him to come down off the cross to save himself, he knew himself it was not possible. For he needed to die and he needed to be buried to fulfill that which he had been sent to do. And that was to bear much fruit. See, the mockers thought in coming down he would save both himself and them. But the only way that they could be saved would be for him to remain on the cross and to die and for them to believe in what he was doing in his atoning work. And remember the two criminals, they both reviled him until the wonder of all dawned in the soul of one of them and he realised in those moments of death that in reaching out to Jesus, in calling upon him, he could be saved. And he did. And he was. And Jesus said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. So what do we learn from this portion of scripture? Well, the application I want to bring this evening is simply this. That the world all around us is still full of mockers. They live next door to us. They live in the same street. They might attend the same places where we're working. They're in the communities all around us. The world is still full of mockers. There are men and women the world over who still see what happened at Calvary as foolishness. 
As we've read the scriptures, as I've gone through what has happened, they still see it as foolishness. Men and women still mock. Men and women still sneer. And men and women still reject the good news of the gospel. But I close by reminding us what that verse I half quoted earlier on continues to say. Remember I said, for the word of the cross is foolishness or folly to those who are perishing. But thank God it continues with this. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That means for all who believe, just like that one criminal did, the cross and the message of the cross is what results in us being saved and knowing the power of God at work in our lives, power that forgives us, power that renews us, power that reconciles us to God. And in the verse that I used, I think it was last Sunday morning, power to not only give us new life now, but also to raise our mortal bodies to resurrected eternal life. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Romans 8 11. And so as I've gone through that chapter as I've read it and reread it through this week and as I picture the scriptures that I've mentioned from this chapter and as I see Jesus hanging on the cross and I want you at this moment to visualize it as well as you see Jesus hanging on the cross and I realize that he was hanging there for me for me he took my sins and my sorrows he made them his very own he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone but not only did he hang there for me he hung there for you he hung there for every one of us he took your sins and your sorrows he made them his very own and then he fell as a grain of wheat into the ground. And I think this is a beautiful picture. The burial of Jesus. He fell as a grain of wheat into the ground. And the reason? <clears throat> so that he could bear fruit. And I have become that fruit. And I praise God for that. That my testimony is that I have become that fruit. As I've put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've come to know the born again experience of surrendering my heart and life to him. But what about you? Can you say that you're that fruit this evening? See, he allowed his body to be destroyed. So that in three days... He could raise it up. And as a result, we too can share in his resurrection life. The world, foolishness, they say. Utter nonsense, they say. And they mock, and they taunt, and they ridicule. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God at work. It's the power of God at work. And it's a miracle. The whole miracle of redemption. What Christ has done for us at Calvary. In taking upon himself our sin. And the punishment we deserve for that sin. 
and the wrath of God toward that sin. He took it in my place. He took it in your place. No, it is not foolishness. It's the power of God at work, saving the souls of men and women. 